Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, hello, Lex City. How are you doing today? All right, there's a few people out there. Good to see you this morning. I'm excited to be with you. My name's Dave Griffith. I'm the ministries pastor here, and this has been a full weekend at the Griffith household. My son, Will, graduated from high school. Uh, yeah, Will got a cheer. It's my dad's birthday, and he's here today. Uh, we've got graduation parties. We, uh, my niece's birthday also, and I get to speak to you guys today. So really excited to be here. And, and as I said, to kick off this new Summer at Lake City series, we're going to be taking you way back to the foundations of who God is. And uh, the Old Testament authors and the Jewish nation itself slowly grew over the generations of who God was and their understanding of him. And they gave these attributes of God different nicknames, uh, different names, nicknames, so to speak, that uh, tell you more about who he is and who who he is and what's true of him. And our teaching team this whole summer is going to be looking at those, the names of God, not just to educate you, but to help you lean in to anchor some of these truths more in your life. We'll be studying these ancient Jewish Uh, names of God that could not be more applicable to our lives today in 2022. And now some people don't like nicknames. If you had one when you were younger that you hated, I get that. Kids can be so cruel. But I actually love nicknames. Uh, Not for the sake of making fun of people, but the other side of that, to show relationship um, that you have with someone. The perfect nickname says that I know you, that I love you for who you are, and I know about you. It actually, in my mind, it builds the relationship. Take our worship staff team that you know and love. Let me give you uh, some of those. So Madison uh, Samakar, who recently got married uh, to her husband, Dayton, uh, Madison was trying to let people know how to pronounce her new last name. It's spelled kind of funny, but it sounds like Proc. She said it's just Rock with a P in front of it, P-Rock. So we gave Madison the name Mad Dog P-Rock because... Mad Dog, uh, not, you may think that's a derogatory term, that just means when Madison is leading worship, she gets after it. So Mad Dog P-Rock, you can use that one. Uh, Michaela Bales, um, you may know her as the little drummer girl, our dreaded uh, drummer. Um, you may, what you may not know about her is she is a baller. We play basketball as a staff team every once in a while, and I'm telling you what, Madison does not play like the small person that she is. She plays like a big man. I think she could take anybody to the hoop. Uh, So Big Mac is uh, what we call uh, Michaela. Josh, who you have been uh, led by many of you, I'm sure, for years as a worship leader. You've heard uh, words from him, and he has led you into the presence of God. Something you may not know about Josh is from a little boy, Josh wanted to be a Christmas tree farmer. Josh wanted to own a Christmas tree farm, and a few years ago, that actually came true. He and his wife, Emily, now have Green Cedar Farm. You, this coming Thanksgiving, you too can buy your Christmas tree at uh, Josh's farm. Big Farm Josh is what we call Josh. You can jump on that bandwagon, bandwagon if you'd like to. Uh, Laura Jo Ross, you uh, probably have gotten to know her over the years. Laura Jo is 
mom of three, wife, I think uh, mother extraordinaire. She, LJ is so uh, cool. Everybody call it, shortens her name to LJ in a classic LL Cool J fashion. LL uh, Cool J Ross, uh, her name. I think LJ may be one of the coolest people I know. So you can... Uh, Use that nickname with her. And then, not, last but not least, Austin Leopard, who can play any instrument, lead you in worship sometimes. Austin, um, uh, for a while, cameoed on Kid City Live um, that, uh, as Austini. A lot of the kids around here know him as Austini. You'll never be able to get away from that photo and that nickname, but we've just shortened it to Teeny. So there you go. You can use that if you'd like to. So in my book, Nicknames are for building relationship and communicating, I know you, I'm on your team, and I love this about you. So throughout history, the Jewish nation, uh, as God continued to reveal himself to them through astounding ways, he got these new nicknames that marked his character and the truth of who God was. This way they would never forget who he is, and more of who he is in their life. Uh, names like El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, or Jehovah Shalom, which means Lord of Peace, or Elohim, which means the Creator. And today we're going to be studying a nickname of God, but I think if you know this one at your core, it literally has the power to change everything. So if you would, turn in your Bibles uh, to Ezekiel 48, Old Testament uh, uh, book, or you can go to lexcity.info, just type that in your phone and click on message notes. We've got all the notes there for you. And you may not know this, you can actually take notes there and uh, send those uh, to yourself or somebody if, you, if you'd like at lexcity.info. So Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Now it's grouped with a bunch of other books that are um, known as the prophets. Uh, these were guys who God called on at a specific amount of time to say, I want you to speak to my, he my people on my behalf, basically be the representative that would proclaim God's word to them. But for the most part, they were speaking to people that were listening to anybody but God for their direction. They found themselves hitting up against that time after time. And in this book, Ezekiel is speaking to the Jewish nation, to the people of God, who have gone so far off the path that God, them al God allowed them to be conquered and taken into exile in Babylon and that, so that they would repent, turn from their ways, and turn back to him. And at the very end of Ezekiel's book, God wanted to communicate uh, uh, in this overwhelming desire to restore the, that he wanted to restore the relationship with them, with his people. So he gives Ezekiel this picture of what the future will look like in the end when Jesus comes back and restores his kingdom here on earth. We studied this in our Revelation series just not too long ago. You can go and check that out. And it's shocking to see the alignment of what Ezekiel wrote and what is written in, in uh, Revelation. And in chapter after chapter, Zeke writes with detail and paints a picture of this new city that is coming our way when Jesus will come back, return, and in grand fashion, uh, he concludes this by saying, Ezekiel 48, 35... The distance around the city, the entire city, will be six miles. And from that day, the name of the city will be called Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. And then Ezekiel kind of drops the, <laughs> drops the mic. And that is the last thing written from Ezekiel in the scripture that we ever hear from him about. And from that day, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. 
Now think about that for just a minute. The Israelites who are living in slavery at this point by surrounded by a foreign nation with pagan rituals, feeling the depression and the hardship of the age, and then this picture from God and this nickname from God is given to them, almost like they're being transported out of the mess that they are in into a perfect city where justice and safety reign, and most importantly, God himself is there. The one who has all the power, all the righteousness, all the love, the ability to make everything right, he will be there, Jehovah Shammah, which is literally translated, the Lord of all is there. You cannot imagine how much hope this brought to an enslaved refugee that could not see an a light at the end of the tunnel with the circumstances going on in their life. Now, think about that for just a minute in your circumstances. When the bills keep coming and there doesn't seem to be a financial change in sight, when the difficulties of parenting come your way and you have no idea what to do next, what card to play, when day after day it feels like your marriage is eroding and you don't know how to break the cycle that you're in, or a medical condition of a family member that just goes on and on and on and no medicine or treatment seems to be helping in any way, or simply the world around you everywhere looks like it's falling apart, and then finally someone helps you lift your head and reminds you that even in the middle of all of that, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Psalm 46, 7. The Lord of the heavens' armies is here among us, and the God of Israel is our fortress. All of these could not be any more true today than they were when they were written. And on our worst days and on our best days, the Lord is right there. In the middle of our sin and our overwhelming days of joy, he cares about the big details and the small ones and has everything we need for every moment of every day. Which for some of you, this is all you needed. Like you came here today and you were like, that is, that is right what I'm in the middle of. And that is all I needed today, and now you're good to go. <laughs> but for others of us, that really just sounds like a bumper sticker and a verse that hangs on my grandmother's wall, but it's not changing the circumstances and the spot where I find myself. And so I want to speak to you today, to that category of person. The, the attributes of God, the presence in your life to help you move from a bumper sticker to that being a foundation that truly can change everything. I recently heard Christine Kane, a, a Christian author and speaker, talk about when she was diagnosed with cancer, going in to, to see the doctor, and the doctor was trying to communicate to her how serious and, and uh, how real this really was, and Christine looked at her and told her that everything is really going to be fine. The doctor kind of looked at her like she was a little bit crazy, but Christine said, God is going to heal me. He'll either do it supernaturally, and no one will be able to deny it, and he'll get all the glory. 
or he'll do it medically and over time and through a process, and then people will be happy, but I'll still give him the glory. Or it'll, or it'll take my life, and then I'll go home to have complete healing with the Lord, uh, and then I'll get to give him glory face to face. That'll make some people here on earth sad, I'm sure, but uh, I'll be there with him. So plan A, I win. Plan B, I win. Plan C, I win. All I want to tell you is that God is with me, and I am going to be fine. What a fantastic perspective. Because you see, it's not the knowledge of God that changes everything. It's the presence of God in your life that changes everything. That's why Paul wrote to the Ephesians church in Ephesians 3, and he said this in Ephesians 3, 12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Because God is there in your life, you can walk in confidence. You can love without holding back. You can be authentic about the sin and the shortcomings in your life. You can have hope for the future, and you can share boldly who Jesus is in your life because of who he is and him being there throughout time and throughout scripture. I think this is one of the things that God communicated most to every person, not that you'll have a trouble-free life, no, the exact opposite, that he will be there with you. To Moses, my presence will go with you, Exodus 33. To Joshua in, in Deuteronomy 31, do not be afraid or discouraged, for I, the Lord, personally will go ahead of you. To the disciples, he said, don't worry in advance about what you'll say, just say what God tells you in that moment, for it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit, Mark 13. And then to all of us, Jesus himself in Matthew 28, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, but be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. He said, I will be with you. And the Israelites knew that they had to constantly keep this truth in the forefront of their minds, that he is Jehovah Shema the Lord with us. They taught their kids this truth. They reminded each other of this truth. And now as Christians, we get to proclaim this truth that God is there. And you can have that truth not as a poem on a wall, but as a foundation and an anchor in your life. This became, this truth became a reality for me one summer when I was in college because we were on a mission trip to Minsk, Belarus, and spent some time in, in Kiev, Ukraine, which obviously you've heard about in the news a lot recently. But this was right after the wall had come down in, in Germany, and communism was just eroding and, and kind of coming apart. And we went in as college students to help set up Bible studies, meet with people, just talk about our faith and, and connect with them, and, uh, and set up Bible studies that would go on long after that time. And we, as a team, did a, a Bible study together too. And I remember what we were studying, and this one day, I, clearly as I'm standing here, I remember sitting on the steps to the mathematics dormitory at Belarus University, just spending some time with the Lord. And for the first time in my life, this thought came to me. I grew up in a way where I was like, tried to do the right thing, say the right thing. I wanted God to be honored with my life. I didn't want to screw up. I wanted to, to uh, um, do my part in the, in the whole deal. And this thought came as clear as a bell. The Christian life is an experience, not a performance. To that point in my life, I think I had been performing everything. 
like on a stage, like, God, I'll do this right. I hope you're watching this. I hope you do that sort of thing. And it was, I had been a Christian by like 14 years at this point. It was, it was not the day I came to, came to Christ, but I'm telling you, that changed everything for me that day. The, I get to experience all of these things with God, not perform this life that he had given to me. And it was a great lesson to learn because later that summer, we were on a ministry break, and we actually went from Belarus into Poland there to kind of see the sites, connect with people there, and um, just have a break from everything. When we go into Poland, um, uh, we spent the, the long weekend there, and we're coming back into Belarus. We've crossed the border, coming back into the former Soviet Union, and we're on a divided highway, just like we would have here in the States um, with a meet, big median in the, the center. And um, I'm in a big tour bus, one of those European tour buses with all the glass in the front. There's two of those, and we happened to be in the second bus, and I was toward the, the back of the bus. And uh, people playing cards, music going on, you know, just having a great time in the bus. I look up, and a car on the other side of the road going southbound cross, comes into the median, and then right before our bus is coming there, the car jumps out of the grass in the median, and we hit the car, this little bitty Fiat, on the right side of the bus. So hard that glass fills the inside of the bus, just a tube of glass coming all the way back. I was toward the back. The glass actually hit the back and kind of went down in our shirts. And we're, we're watching this whole thing happen. The bus driver got the bus over to the side. And I just remember checking on people. Everybody was, you know, kind of uh, checking to see if everyone was okay. Something kicked in in me, and I ran up to the front of the bus to check on the bus driver. He was holding his leg, but he was okay. And I look over where the stairs used to be, and now the whole front of the bus is caved in. You couldn't even, uh, the, the stairs were gone. So uh, instantly, I started thinking about the people outside. So I jumped through where the glass used to be down to the road, and turned to start running back to, to this accident that had happened. And uh, this car, not very well made, had been literally torn into pieces. There were pieces of the car laying there. As I'm running down the road to these people, and there were two people standing there, one, well, one laying, sitting down, holding her arm. You could tell it had been broken. And uh, I ran up to them, and the first question I asked is, how many people were in the car? And they looked at me like I was crazy because they spoke Russian. <laughs> they had no idea what to say. So I was like, oh, it's so a ran back, got a translator, came back down to them. And, and I was just asking them how they were doing. And I said, how many people in their car were in the car? And they responded, there were three. And in that moment, um, to have to decide what am I as a you know, young college student, I think I was a junior at this point, maybe going to my senior year, have to decide uh, what part do I play in this. I just remember thinking that uh, through. And then Dave Brown, a friend of mine who is a, uh, a uh, physical therapist major, I mean, at this point, he had only had chemistry. You know, he had no, no medical training, but he comes up and, and we decide, okay, we'll, we'll go look for this guy. So we slide down this gravel embankment that was pretty steep down to the bottom and, and start walking through weeds that were taller than us just looking, I remember this feeling of wanting to help and at the same time not wanting to find who knows what. And we actually found this person, this guy who had been thrown from the vehicle. You could tell he was broken in multiple spots. He was still alive. 
And uh, as two young college students, we got to this guy. The only thing we did know is that you, you need to mobilize. He could have a back injury. We needed to mobilize that, but he's where he'd gotten sick. He's just choking. And so we got him onto his side just to clear his airway and help him continue to breathe. And there we were. Belarus, Russia on the side of the road long before cell phones. And who would we call in the first place? No idea what to, what to do next. And we're there for 45 minutes, then an hour, then two hours, all and it, with the other college students up at the top helping the, the people that were up there. But literally, feel, I just remember feeling helpless, like, what, what do we do in this moment? And after about two hours, this doctor comes sliding down. The, he had stopped on the road. He'd come sliding down. He had an old black um, medical kit, like, you know, Little House on the Prairie kind of thing. He slid down to where we were, and he reaches in, and he pokes, it like shakes his head looking at this guy who we have been keeping alive now for hours. He takes out this humongous pill and hands it to me and points to the guy, like, give him this pill, and then scampers back up to the road over the top. I'm like, we've been keeping him alive forever. You want me to shove this pill down his throat? I just, I remember being infuriated, you know, and, uh, feeling helpless all the same. The time goes on, and now the mosquitoes are coming out, and the sun is on the horizon. And um, I just remember, like, crying out to the Lord, like, it, what do we do, you know, in this moment? And um, four hours after this accident had happened, an army Jeep van-like thing pulls up at the top, and two guys get out, and they come down, and they, they've got long poles with just a canvas, just like you can imagine from way back and they help us roll the guy on there. And now we're, all of us are around just kind of passing this guy up this embankment to get up to the pavement. We get up to the top. And the, uh, I remember they, they open up the back doors. No stretcher, no medical equipment, just like a corrugated truck bed, just like we would have here. And they slide this guy in. And as the doors are closing, I just get emotional every time I tell this story. I remember just standing there being mad, and at least if we were in America, I knew somebody would have done something. It just was just the frustration of it and the scaredness and just my heart breaking for these people. And as those doors closed, the Lord himself uh, spoke to my heart, not like an audible voice, but just like in that moment, knowing how much this mattered to me and Jesus uh, said to me, Dave, I will always come for you. Somehow, uh, God knew that in that moment, I needed to hear from him. And I wasn't the one in trouble. But that anchor has been so true in my life. That literally was a before day and after day for me. And that truth has been such an anchor in my life that none of the circumstances have changed after that. <laughs> no, in fact, the exact opposite. He said to me, it makes every day and every circumstance and experience with him. Good, bad, and otherwise, you can walk through that on your own if you want to, but I will be there with you. 
So what's the alternative <laughs> to that? In your relationships, in the business that you lead, in your recovery, in your life schedule, in your decision making. If you're like me, sometimes you just drift into your own ingenuity, your own wisdom, your own efforts. And I think this drift is probably the most reoccurring sin in my life. I can find myself halfway through a project, halfway through a conversation, halfway through a week, realizing I've been doing this all on my own effort. And I'm doing all of that when Romans 8:11 is actually true. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give, you, give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living in you. I have access to that kind of power, and yet I settle for the best that Dave Griffith has to offer all the time. What a stupid idea that really is. So I want to give you a challenge today to help you move from this being a concept in your life to a reality in your life. The Israelites had reminders. They had clothes that they wore and bracelets that they wore, phrases that they said and to remind each other that God hasn't left us. He is here. So how can you, I want to be as practical as I can today, how can you start living in the Jehovah Shema truth in your life uh, every day? And if you already have a relationship with God, it really can just start with spending time with him. Daily, if you start or end your day with an intentional time with God, you can't help but be centered on who he is in your life. Just set aside 15 minutes, maybe read a devotional, listen to some worship music, read a chapter in the Bible, and just sit listening to what God may want to say to you. You may want to set an alarm, second thing, set an alarm on your phone or on your watch that is literally just a checkpoint that reminds you to pray. Mine is 714 in the morning based on 2 Chronicles 714. And I pray in those moments that the, for world missions, for our missionaries around the world, that just to remind myself that God is the one drawing people to himself, he is the one of doing the work of reaching lost people, and I just get to be a part of it. I get to experience that with him. You may want to declare each day, like you're starting out your day and you just need a huddle with God that just says, I'm declaring this. I'm not going to walk through this day alone. God is with me. The Holy Spirit is going in front of me. And I know Jesus is coming back and in the end we win. Like just declaring that is true as you walk through your day. You, may, you will operate totally differently. When you already know the ending, you, you tend to operate differently. I have a cousin, Frank, who lives in Virginia. Frank was, uh, uh, lived as a single guy most of his adult life. Now he's married, has a bunch of kids. But he bought a piece of property right next to his mom and dad and um, built a cool log cabin. And, uh, but Frank had this, the mooch that he is, at 5.30, he knew my aunt was like clockwork, dinner was on the table. So he would find his way somehow up to their house uh, to grab some dinner. But just so you know, Wheel of Fortune on cable comes on at different times. In fact, Frank knew it came on at one channel at 5.30, and when he got to his aunt's, it would come on, excuse me, at 5, and when he got to his aunt's, it would come on at 5.30. So Frank would come in, 
grab a plate of food, and then Wheel of Fortune would come on, which they watched every night, and Frank already knew all of the answers. In fact, it would come up, and he would wait for a few letters, and then he would just give the answer. My aunt thought he was the most, he was genius. This guy, this kid is amazing. I've created this amazing genius. And uh, so Frank would, you know, let it go, and uh, then he would guess, you know, I mean, it got to the point, this happened for years he never let them on to that. Frank would be in the other room, and it would come up, you know, famous U.S. cities, and he would go, how many letters? They'd say, 11. He'd go, Albuquerque. They're like, how does he know that? I mean, Frank could walk in and say, I bet the older lady on the right's going to win. And she won every time. They could not imagine that Frank had that kind of intellect and, and insight. But you play the game differently when you know the end, Right? You walk with a different set of confidence. You, you operate in the, I know how this is going to go when you operate with that in mind. So I want to give you a few moments today to spend some time with God and maybe give you the opportunity to kind of draw a line in the sand for yourself. Like, uh, as a church, we've been in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church praying first week for our families, the next week for our church, and the, this week for our community, and we're going to give you some time to do that today, to pray for our community locally and nationally. And as you know, this week there was a tragic school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and we don't want to just pray for our community, but for theirs as well, that the presence of God would be experienced by people near and far and there in Uvalde, Texas. But you may be here today and you're feeling like anything but God is there in your life and in the middle of your circumstances, maybe because you've never actually started a true relationship with him. You know about God, you know a lot of things that God has done, but you've never actually received the gift of grace and forgiveness in your life through his son, Jesus, and you want to become a follower of him today. So today, I want to give you that opportunity to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going to do this on my own anymore. I'm going to put God at the center and let him change me from the inside out. So I want to encourage you during our prayer time or during this last song as we're going, if God is laying that on your heart, I want to give you the opportunity. You can, we've got a team down here that would love to pray with you, help you cross that line of faith. You can come down during this prayer time, during the song, or anytime, and just come, and they'll help you. They'll pray with you and for you that that would be true in your life. But I want to take these moments to, as a church to come together and do these three things. I want to let you get the opportunity to anchor this truth that God is there, Jehovah Shema, that he wants to walk through every minute of every day with you, and this is the day you're declaring that that's true. And we're going to give you some time to pray for the community of Uvalde, that God's presence would be with them and with people on this Memorial Day weekend that have lost loved ones. Pray for those families and, uh, uh, that have served so well. And then we're going to pray for our community and our nation. Just going to give you some time to do that. It's so easy that we run through the details of life and we miss that God may want to speak into that process. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we give you this time and we ask you, to uh, bring our hearts and our minds in connection with yours. Lord, would that be true in our lives, these things? And so, Lord, we commit this, these next minutes to you and ask you to, uh, as we put these things on the screen, Lord, that you would uh, draw us into the prayers you want to pray. So, pr First, we pray for God to grow your faith by experiencing his presence every day.
Now let's um, switch and we'll pray for Uvalde, Texas and for the Lord's peace, protection, and healing to be in that community and for families uh, around the country this weekend for this Memorial Day weekend. Let's pray for our community, for Lexington, and for our country to experience the presence of God in their lives, that he would show up in real ways to people and draw them to him. Jesus, we come to you today knowing that we don't have all that we need. In fact, we declare it this day, Lord, that we need your presence in our life. And I just want to say, Lord, thank you that you have made this truth a reality to us, that you truly are Jehovah Shema. You will always come for us. You're God who is there. And so, Lord, we ask you to do that in many people's lives, in the life of our country, in the life of our community, life of our church, in our families, Lord, but also for us today. Would you, would you draw us so close to that truth that we walk in the confidence of who you are in our lives? And for those, Lord, that need to take that step of faith, we pray for them to be able to do that today. Draw a line in the sand and just say, God, I want you to be first in my life. And we pray it all in the powerful name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church slash give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.